This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk,、yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my friend and co host, Judy Cho. And I am joined by a whole bunch of you who、uh, are participating in this celebration of our 100th episode of Cutting Against the Grain, which is so exciting. You can't see me, but I'm doing snaps, snaps, and sparkles.、Hey. Uh, that's what we do on my virtual call. It's at work, snaps and sparkles. And so we are. Recording this live with a whole bunch of you、uh, on the chat who have、um, come to hang out with us. And we're going to do a 100th episode celebration, ask us questions, chat, reminisce a little bit about kind of all of our favorite episodes.、Uh, and we're really excited. I just, we've been wanting to do something where we're interacting with people for so long. This podcast has really formed out of Judy Knight's friendship and our need and desire to connect with each other. And then also to connect with all of you、uh, and just try to bring some context and nuance to this crazy community that often seems a little nuts. And we are, we want to just be able to talk about that with each other and connect. So, Judy, we have done 100 episodes. I know. It's amazing. I, can, I can't believe it. I'm sure you <laughs> thought we would get this far, but we both know I probably would not have made it to 100 if it wasn't for you keeping us up with it. Not really. I know, I know that you would have done it. It might just have not been every week, but for sure. Yeah. So it's been an amazing journey. I feel like we've grown a lot. I think even through this whole podcast,、um, you know, just I, I thought about what should we talk about during the 100th episode? And I wanted to ask you I mean, I know that you do a lot of speaking stuff in your real career, but what do you think is your biggest learning lesson from doing this podcast? You know, I, I thought about that and I don't know if it's 
it's twofold. I do feel like it's because of this podcast, but my perspective has changed in the last couple of years. So if we've been doing hundred episodes, that's just under two years mm-hmm. that we've been doing this. And I feel like I am in a completely different place when it comes to my mindset around carnivore, social media, all of this stuff. And I feel like in a lot of ways, um, it's been really helpful for me to not completely check out. Like, I do feel like if it wasn't for you and this podcast and our ability to talk things out, I would have just said like, forget it. Right. This I'm so irritated. I don't even want to deal with some of this <laughs> stuff anymore. Like it would have been very easy for me to walk away from all of this. I don't, I have a job. I don't need to be on social media. And so in a lot of ways, when I do get frustrated, I feel like if I didn't have you and then everybody else here where I could talk through some things, I would just have shut down personally because my life has moved on a lot since where we were two years ago. And I do feel like if it wasn't for this podcast and for you, especially, and your friendship, I would have just walked away from all of this a long time ago. I think one of the biggest reasons I wanted to do this podcast is when I shared about liver, there wasn't enough context and everyone just thought I was a bad person for sharing that liver can yeah. actually have some toxicity. And I was deeply hurt by the people that were saying what I was saying was blasphemous in a sense. And I think when we talk things through it on this podcast and just talk about what is going on in the community, do we agree and have those conversations? It really helps us to make sense of everything that's going on and, and then make sense of it and have peace with it. And we used to do some semblance of that through messaging, but it's yeah. not the same as doing it through podcasts and then getting the feedback from our community of, I agree with you, or I disagree with you. And it just helps people ultimately, like, what is the goal of this podcast of our community? And it's really to help people. And if we don't have the conversations or have these hard conversations where we say, does that make sense to follow? Or does that make sense that that's becoming popular? And if it doesn't, then let's challenge it. And I struggled a lot with, are we talking crap or is this gossip? And, and it's not, it's like a fine line. If I have questions, then I know that there's other people in the community that also have questions and then let's talk about it. And the way to make change and improve anything, whether it's science, whether it's the diet is to challenge things and challenge status quo, just because butter is super popular right now does not mean that everyone has to be doing it. I believe that people are healing. No question. Yeah. But without these conversations, we would never improve as a diet and a community. And I think for me, it's just allowed me to be more of who I am than being like, what is status quo in our community? And you know, what's the right thing to say and do. And I love, I love to seeing the change that's happened in you or like more than anything. I think I love the other side of you that people now get to see. And you've admitted this too, but on nutrition with Judy, you are like nutrition with Judy. And that is your role. And you're this, it is an important voice that you give to bring science and information. And I love that side of you, but I also love this side of you, the spicy Judy, this like fired up Judy that I get to see the fun, emotional, like who is so deeply passionate and fights for what she believes in. Like, I love that side of you. And I really love that this podcast has been an outlet for you to show that to people. And then I feel like people have gotten to know a whole new side of you through this. And it, it really did start with the liver stuff, which was two years ago, like right after we came up with this podcast, that is when all of that stuff got really crazy in this. Um, and I think people were starting to see 
it would have been very easy, I think, for you to get lost in this like anti-liver back and forth drama of social media. And through, I think the podcast, people were able to hear your voice and your passion and your full context and nuance. And it stopped being about like fighting online with somebody about liver. And it was more about, you were able to share a lot more information and your whole side of things. And that's kind of where I think, I do wonder if that whole drama hadn't happened right after we started this podcast, if it would have carried us through till now. Cause I feel like we've almost found ourselves and how we wanted to support the community through that. Like we realized that, Hey, we can now take this topic, this viral topic that's happening in this back and forth drama, and we can talk about it in more detail and we can share that side of things. And I think in a lot of ways that's helped us to be able to I don't know. I I just love that people have gotten to know this side of you because I love this side of you. Without that drama that had happened, I I think I wouldn't have also become stronger in my own faith and just been bold. A lot of times I'm super empathetic and I think about the community at large and think if I share this, how would people take it and how would people feel? And then I could become super mindful of, well, there are veteran carnivores and what would they think? Like, would they be thinking that I'm damaging their, the brand of carnivore. And so I've always been so mindful of things like that. And I think when I went and I thought I was doing a favor for the community of, Hey, look at what I found about liver and we should just be more mindful. And then when the whole community or a lot of the community just started sharing outrage and I get it. I mean, when you first learn something and you're against it, you get mad. And then later on, then you start feeling like sadness and, and then you start thinking, is this truth? And so I I get that whole process, but it helped me to figure out what my own voice was and Mm -hmm. just sharing stuff that's super controversial. And it's just, you know what, if I know that my heart's in the right place and I'm sharing for the betterment of the people that what I see in my own clientele, that I'm worth willing um, to do that. And I've also seen the change in you. I've, we've been friends for a long time now and a lot of your content is fun and it's comedic and it's so entertaining, but I think I see another side of you too on this, where we get to talk about deep things and you're not this, you know, there's like a serious side to you and very thoughtful. And I know you play dumb, but then you're not really dumb at all. So it's just, um, we get to talk about stuff that's hard, especially in this day and age with the pandemic, with everything that's happened, uh, we get to talk about serious things and be wholly honest. And the hope and intent is that we're giving people something to think about, something to process to ultimately find what makes sense for them. Yeah, I definitely, it's been a big outlet for me. I mean, you and I talk about that and like, it's been not only a connection for us, but it's kept me involved and it it's a place where I feel like I can process things versus checking out. And I know, and then just like the comments that are coming through right now on the chat and also the reviews that we get, um, uh, somebody just commented that I've been started listening. I just started listening. So new, a new listener, uh, and binge listening to it, which I do like, I think most of them, if you go back and listen from the beginning, like they're not, uh, most of them are not really time sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, appreciate the honesty and realness of both of you. I felt the concern from Judy in the liver episode. Yeah. And so a couple of people, said, you can tell Judy cares about the people and what is right. And Laura is real and doesn't put up a fake front or get wishy-washy about what is right or best. <laughs> so those, I feel like, um, are pretty accurate with us. So we and really I, appreciate I mean, it. And now I'll vouch for Laura. I mean, she, she saw concerns about the butter stuff and we just thought 
if we bring up butter, it will specifically talk about certain people. And so we just said, well, I, I said, maybe we don't bring it up for a while. And it just kept going. And I think she just, it was her hairdresser when she brought up, oh, like there's this fad in your community about eating a lot of butter. And it just bothered Laura because for Laura, it brought so much healing. And then when she sees other people in her locals that are getting affected by it in a negative way, she just started, I could see it. She just cares about the people in the community around her and the desire to want to help other people get better. And there will be some people that can improve with butter, but it's just, it's not this blanket statement of your thyroid and hormone will heal just with 80, 20 butter. And it's just not true. I think we just got to a point of, okay, I think we need to bring it up. We don't need to name names. And it's not, it's never about a person for us. It's just, it's the content. It's about the information and the content and really just trying, like Judy just said, everything that is, that goes viral or goes what that's being shared in the community might work for someone, but oftentimes things are contributed as a, the one size fits all. And I even actually, I text Judy yesterday and I was like, I already know what the next trend is going to (laughs) be. And I'm telling you now it's the no salt thing. Like everybody's going to start doing no salt soon because Michaela just posted about, she had cut out salt for a few days and she's feeling better. And then a couple other people started tweeting about it. I'm the next, and it was a no salt a couple of years ago, actually, a bunch of people went no salt. So I already know we've already started talking, like we need to start talking about the no salt thing coming up soon, because now that the butter thing is some people are moving away from that, like something new has to come along. And I I don't know if no salt promises weight loss. So it might not get as big or as trendy as the MCT powder or the butter or the protein sparing modified fast trends all got. But I do think that like some key people are talking about get, feeling better with no salt. And I think that's going to be the next thing that we see pop up. So our goal with all of this is just to continue to bring nuance. And we love having you guys here. I love seeing comments right now. Um, and I, it's been fun to do it this way, but also the reviews people leave. And this is the messages that we get. I know that sometimes we don't make some friends when we, <laughs> what was the one we did? Like a, uh, it was like a year ago now where we talked about like meat bars or something. Oh, that was a, that was the first time I think that people got like really, really mad at us um, because we were just talking about how that the low fat thing, that was when people were doing the low fat thing. I think I don't remember, but, but the crazy thing is I didn't know that somebody created that. So when you brought right. that up, I didn't even know. Right. And so we, we I literally got hate <laughs> messages from people of you are going out and attacking so-and-so and we didn't I, even know who that was. Like it, yeah. to us, it's all I mean, about honestly. the content. It's all about the information. And so I don't know, I just to try to bring another perspective of it. And I'm like, some of you, some of you are saying, I can't do no salt or I get dizzy without it. I crave about it. I I'm the same way. And I think that first of all, it tastes good. I like it, <laughs> which I think the no salt thing, and you and I already addressed this, and then we can start getting into, um, questions and stuff like that. But, um, the no salt thing, I think again, addresses the fact that people have not fixed a root cause issue. They are addressing a symptom and they cut out the salt and it fixes a couple symptoms they're having. It doesn't actually fix the root cause issue. Um, and so they may have some electrolyte balance issues, but more than anything, they're feeling better potentially, um, because they're fixed addressing symptoms and not the root cause. When an influencer or some medical doctor or someone is sharing that this is the way, and when people are desperate for healing, they latch onto it. And I get that. So if a person that has a lot of a large following is saying, 
that they remove salt and now they're starting to feel better, then the first thing to think is, well, I don't feel a hundred percent on carnivore. So let me try the low salt thing. And maybe you'll feel better for a few days, but if it doesn't, again, fit that definition of, do you feel better still six months later? And if you don't, then that's not the root cause. I don't think most people are not healing on carnivore because they either left in a little bit of coffee or they are using some salt. It's just, it's too simple of an answer yeah. that it can't just be that. And I think ultimately we have to get to root cause. And I know that's difficult um, to figure out, but it's normally not this one small minor thing. And I know it gets sensationalized on social media. And so we want to believe that because it seems like finally the fix, but it it's oftentimes not that it's staying consistent. And if consistency doesn't allow you to find root cause, then you have to dig deeper. And that's where I would work with a practitioner. Yeah. Jim and Amy just commented and said the three-part series starting with butter. So we did the three-part series that they're mentioning is the butter, the calories, and the carbs. Um, she said was well-stated without calling anyone out, really appreciate the perspectives provided the anti-dogma approach is much more believable root cause healing. Yeah. And I think that's the true with any trends. Like we want to try to address all of these things to share why people might be doing it in the first place, like why some people have healing and why it's not the answer for a lot of people as well. Right. Do you want to get into questions? Yeah. So Vicky asked a question right now and then feel free to chat some questions. We will try to do them, um, get to as many as possible. If they're super in depth, we will save them for a future episode. Potentially. I have my little notebook here. We can write down. Wait, let's then- before I'm sorry, before we get into questions, I totally forgot. Um, we were going to talk about some plans for the upcoming year. So exciting news for the, for you being here. Um, so I think the first thing I'll bring up is that I am hosting, uh, the nutrition with Judy brand, I guess I, I hate saying that, but nutrition with Judy is <laughs> that's host- what it is though. Your team, the nutrition with Judy team. Well, and Laura, um, so we are hosting a carnivore summit. So I've been working, I didn't share because again, it's that fear-based stuff, but we have been working behind the scenes to bring to this community, a cohesive message about carnivore and illnesses adjacent to carnivore. And so that summit will likely go live in May. It will be free. And I think so far we've interviewed 30 people that are medical doctors, practitioners. It is full, uh, solely focused on the science and the medical space of it all to just, we really wanted to just bring more respect and medical backing to this diet so that hopefully one day we can really use it as elimination diets in hospitals and other places, um, in the functional space as well, without it just being about influencers or, or just like viral reels and stuff. Like it's so much more than that. And sometimes the actual respect and healing for the diet itself is lost through all of the social media noise. And we want people to be able to kind of have like you know, Judy's idea around this is it's going to be virtual. So if that wasn't clear, like it's a virtual weekend where you can essentially like find out everything about carnivore from like the very most basic information of what is a carnivore diet, all the way to a whole talk on cholesterol and a whole talk on like really oxalates and all of these kinds of things. And so you would have all of this information that you can watch and listen to in one weekend. Um, I, I think we did that episode that was like the definition of a carnivore diet, right? And this is essentially taking 
the whole weekend and every expert and doctor from all different viewpoints. Uh, and Judy's brought them all together to have in like one place, which is awesome. And by the way, um, Sean scheduled with me today. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, so I'm going to, I'll record that with him next week. Okay, cool. And I love Judy's approach with this too. Like she is bringing in experts. Like I'm involved only because I'm doing a couple of the interviews for her. I am not speaking and I'm not giving a talk because I'm not a medical doctor or an expert. And I know Judy's always very complimentary of of me of this, but it's, it's not about somebody who has large social media followings, right. Who are sharing information. It is about people who have written books and have degrees who have done the research and the science. And it's not all, it's lots of different voices and perspectives from this, but it is about bringing all of the experts together to share a message about the carnivore diet. And that's what I love about it most. Um, and it's going to be kind of like all different levels, intro and in depth and kind of everything that you could want all together. I'm excited to release this and I just hope it gives more support in the carnivore community and also just um, a level of respect that this is a viable and honestly, probably the best way to eat. So yeah, Yeah. look forward to that. You want to bring up the next one about the carnivore project? The thing that we've been working on? Oh, well, you want me to, well, Well, I mean, maybe not bring up the specific thing, but yeah, Yeah. you better share because otherwise I'll share too much. (laughs) I don't know what you're, I don't know how many bombs I'm dropping here for you. Okay. Uh, So the other, one of the other things we've been working on is by at the end of the year, we will be releasing a carnivore specific project. Uh, Laura and I both have been working on it and I can't talk about specifically what it is yet, but it will release by the end of the year. So it's mostly Judy. Let's be honest. (laughs) We all know this, this is a Judy thing. And I get to help out a little bit along the way, like I do for the summit too, which is great. That's exactly how I love it. I love to just kind of be supportive uh, of my incredible friend and all the amazing work that she's doing. But the part that you are in this thing is very, (laughs) not me. So it's perfect that you, it is something that people have been asking me for a lot. I will say this, like the part that I'm contributing for with, I got, I get asked about a lot. And so hopefully it will be helpful, um, helpful for people. If this was vague enough for you all, just know if you've asked me to create something that's coming. Okay. (laughs) Um, what else? We're both going to be at KetoCon, which I think you guys know. So hopefully if anybody's coming or needs a ticket for that, um, you've heard us talk about that. And then, uh, what else? Yeah. We might be recording and cutting against the grain podcast. Then I'm not entirely sure, for oh, yeah. that, but we may, I think there's yeah. a good chance. And then I know I'll do a locals meetup at KetoCon again. So That's if you're right. going to be at KetoCon and you're in my locals, which I think like half of you here are my locals, which I love. This is like my favorite place to be on the internet. Um, you guys all know this. I do live streams like this. Like it's awesome having Judy here too, and doing it cutting against the grain style, but I do live streams in locals mostly every week, not this week. Cause I we were on vacation, but, um, pretty much every week and get to hang out there. I post every day for free. And then I do other stuff that's like for supporters. And then when we do our meet and greets and I try to get together as I travel to other cities, I try to get together with people, um, through all that. So yeah, I'm excited. So if you are not in locals, you can come find me there and hang out with us. Yeah. And what'll be cool is I think it's the Saturday it's, uh, Laura's birthday at KetoCon. Oh, yeah. And so we'll have like a locals event and I will be tagging along. <laughs> we'll do like a, uh, we'll go find a place to get a big steak for my birthday on that Saturday. Cause the Saturday of KetoCon's my birthday. Yeah. I'll be 38, which I've been telling everybody for the last year <laughs> that I'm 38, even though I'm 37. And then I keep telling everybody I'm 38. 
I, I think that's it in terms of announcements. Um, the other announcement I guess I have is that we will be releasing Carnivore Cures version two sometime this year. And um, we are sold out of the paperback. So if you are buying the paperback for like 50 something dollars, that is not me. I don't know who's doing that, but there have been people that have been doing that. Yeah. You could still get the um, audiobook and the Kindle and the version, yeah. the ebook right now, but uh, later this year, she'll have the second version of it. So just hang tight if people need that new version. Yeah. And I think Chris's story will be in there, but TBD. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Let's talk about some, um, quite, do you want to talk about, uh, your clients and stuff or no? No, I think that's good. I mean, okay. Uh, we get messages occasionally saying, we know that you're not taking clients, but we are, I think it's old videos that people are seeing. Um, I have a team of four nutritional therapists now, and, um, I work with them and we review every single case. We have team meetings weekly. And so, uh, we are available to support the community, but you know, it's not required. <laughs> so. uh, Alyssa asked when KetoCon is it's April 21st through the 23rd in Austin. I would never remember dates that easily, but I just know it's my birthday, <laughs> but yeah, it's in Austin, Texas, April 21st, to 23rd. Okay. Um, all right. Go back up to Vicky's okay. question. I'm going to try to hit some of the bigger questions, uh, or any questions that you guys have asked. So I'm gonna start with Vicky. She said, our my husband reached his ideal weight on carnivore, but feels bad, weak, et cetera, all the time. Doctor said to stop losing and adds a few carbs and fruit. Can you recommend the best carbs to add? He's a moderator, so it won't send him spiraling. Um, I, I think it really depends on the person, but if he didn't really deal with um, glucose issues, then I mean, you can add lower carb, lower glycemic fruits, such as strawberries, berries, raspberries. Um, it, and then if he has been diabetic ever at, at a certain point in his life, then you may want to just start with like leafy green vegetables and uh, likely boiling them or steaming them so that some of the anti-nutrients are removed. I would always start with no matter what you start with, just half a cup every single day and then see how you feel. It will be normal. It will be normal to feel bloat, but if you feel like distension and a lot of pain, then you may want to slow down on that, but you want to add back the same food for three days in a row. And I know it's super long and boring, but that's how you'll know for sure if you feel sensitive to a food or not. So I would start with maybe leafy greens, steamed, boiled, or you can start with really low carb glycemic foods. I also would be curious on like, why does he feel bad doing carnivore in that way? Like, is he getting enough fat? Is he eating enough? Is he, um, still dealing with some other type of issues that's going on? Like, I would wonder that I think most doctors are going to instantly say like, oh, you feel bad because you're carnivore. And I don't know what type of doctor he's dealing with. So I'm not telling you to go against your doctor's information. What I'm saying though, is I would figure out like, why does he feel bad anyway? And I think that carbs can be helpful, but if you listen to that episode we did on carbs, like they can be a bandaid, but they're not addressing the real reason he's feeling bad in the first place. Um, it could just be, he's so lean and he's at his weight and he needs more energy. And so carbs can provide that energy for him, but it also could just be, he needs to eat more or he needs more fat or he needs better electrolyte balance, something like that. So, um, yeah, if he, if he were our client and he was saying, I want to stay fully carnivore because I've lost all this weight, but I feel bad and weak. Our first thought would be you're under eating, um, and maybe eating insufficient fat. Yeah. So think I address it. If he wants to add the carbs, then I know those yeah. are the ones listen to what you, but that's said. not the root cause. Right. In my opinion. Uh, Kathy asks, what do you think of fat fasting? Um, personally, I think that they can be 
it's one of those things that somebody could use temporarily um, for healing to kind of boost up their metabolism. Like if you need more energy and fast, I think some people use them for weight loss. Um, I don't know personally, I would rather not eat. I think if I was doing a fat fast, I think I've heard of people eating, like drinking the butter coffee only and stuff to me, it would give me the diarrhea, um, <laughs> to be really honest. And then also it would just, I would not lose weight as quickly as an actual fast. So I would ask in this question, same kind of question as before of like, why do you want to do the fat fast? And if it's because of weight loss, I personally, it would not be the most effective way for me to lose weight. Um, Sometimes I think it's just helpful to eat something and not like, I want to burn the fat that's on my body and not just like drink or eat plain fat, which is also why I don't understand the butter stuff. But um, I would wonder why are you doing the fat fast in the first place? If it's to like reverse diet, heal hormones, kind of boost that stuff up. Maybe it is helpful for a, a short amount of time. Well, Dr. Fung's IDM group, they only recommend fat fast when you are not able to just fast on its own, just because it's um, easier supposedly. And the whole goal is that you reduce your insulin levels by fat fasting. So you're not really tapping into insulin as much as if you're eating carbs or protein Mm. and, and then your calories are still somewhat low. So you will lose weight. Maybe you're eating 600 calories of fat and you're fasting because you're not really triggering an insulin response. And that's the whole idea. But then the long-term belief, I think at IDM is that you will eventually get to standard fasting, but, um, so if she, you're- Kathy did a follow-up, but she said it is for okay. weight loss. I have a hard time not eating for a day. So, and then she's very familiar with Jason Funk. So I'm sure that makes sense. Maybe it is where you do the four to 600 calories of fat and then kind of wean yourself down, um, go back over time. So maybe that's like a lower day, like Judy was mentioning. I don't think everyone needs to eat this full amount of calories every single day. It's just that most days you should try to hit and target that. So then if there's two days of five of the full week that you do a fat fast, I think it's fine, but always, I always like to measure five um, symptoms um, to see if you're healing. And that's the hormone stool, sleep, energy, and forget another one, just to make sure that those are functioning, right. Even if you're doing the fat fast, then it should be okay for you. But if any of those become compromised, that's when you may need to slow down the fat fast. I definitely wouldn't do it too long or you're going to have issues with protein, too low protein. Oh yeah. 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 Absolutely. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, um, and if her refeeding isn't enough, then she's going to start having hormone and thyroid issues. Yes. Um, Amber asks, how long does it typically take to heal insulin resistance on a carnivore eating? I've been carnivore for a year now, but my glucose still runs in the nineties, low hundreds. My PCOS has completely healed. So first of all, yay for that. And second of all, I'm just, I I think in the nineties, low hundreds on a carnivore diet is very normal glucose levels. Um, Judy and I addressed this not too long. Did we actually get into this or we just talk about what we talked about? I don't think it's aired yet. No, no, we talked about. (laughs) Oh, the car on the carb episode. So Amber, go listen to the carb episode. Um, But I think that there's absolutely nothing wrong if you were eating a strict carnivore diet. There's nothing wrong with the '90s low hundreds um, on your glucose. That to me does not mean you're insulin resistant. But so here's a just in case. Um, You may want to do blood work just to see if any of the other markers are imbalanced, such as insulin and other. Um, you, you could check your A1C, but that's, can also be a false positive. 
So any inflammatory markers, and I've talked about it a bunch on other episodes as well. We have a carnivore blood work um, episode, but if all of those numbers look normal, including your triglycerides, then your nineties to hundreds may not be an issue on a carnivore diet. And I think in how long it takes to heal insulin resistance depends on like how bad were you in the first place. And I think like, how aggressive are you in what you're doing now? Um, for me personally to like truly lower my A1C and for Chris, my mom, like all of us who were in this obese, high blood sugar, diabetic, pre-diabetic range, we had to incorporate some fasting to bring that down. And I, it wasn't until it was with some like pretty aggressive carnivore and fasting. We were able to, you know, my mom and Chris both completely reverse their diabetes very quickly once they incorporated things like fasting. Um, but both of us now, my glucose runs in the nineties most of the time. And I'm still, unless I'm fasting more than 48 hours, it doesn't really get lower than that. Yeah, I agree. My blood sugar runs in the nineties as well, and I'm totally fine. Yeah. Um, somebody asked a SIBO question, even after three years, ketovore, uh, she said, I'm like Laura, mostly meat with pickles, olives, et cetera, occasionally. Uh, and a year ago decided to treat my remaining symptoms, methane dominant with herbs under the direction of my functional medicine doctor didn't go well, horrible die off and had to stop opted to stay carnivore, but I've never gotten back to where I was even before treatment. Um, so that's the question I would ask. I don't know nothing about this, but Judy, I was like, say like, do you think that triggered something? So it, it depends if her, if, if your body wasn't ready to take the herbals and let's say your, um, lymphs or your detox pathways weren't fully ready, you could be dumping a lot when your body's not ready to do that. And so it can make you feel unwell and then just stopping the whole, pro- whole process. And let's say you didn't kill off a lot of the the die off and it wasn't removed, then there might just be like an excess inflammation now. And you just stopped it midway. So it could be that, um, if you are not feeling better, I would treat SIBO though, because it's not something to just kind of let lingering, um, people that also have SIBO tend to have H pylori. I mean, it's kind of hard because this is a little bit of a medical question, but I would consider like a stool test. I would do another breath test to see where you are, but the fact that your symptoms are not better. And in fact, they're worse. Um, there is something underlying going on and I would not ignore that. And it's, I don't personally think it's a diet thing, but I I would look a little deeper. Yeah. Um, Vicky was the one talking about her husband earlier, who the doctor was suggesting to add back carbs. And she said, I would say he's under eating, but not, uh, and not enough fat. He says he eats all he can, which I understand that as well. He's 74. And then she said, I think he has SIRS, but not wanting to pursue it right now. And that is probably that's um, honestly, that's what it sounded like when you mentioned that just being around the, the SIRS community, <laughs> like having all my friends with SIRS is that it's probably a SIRS, but you're right. He has to want to turn around and address the root cause. Carbs might be a bandaid to help him feel better now, but it's not going to fix his SIRS. Yeah. So now that we brought up SIRS, um, mm-hmm. I would have actually said to Michelle about SIBO that if long-term your diet is not helping enough, and even if you've taken some mild herbals and let's say you try to go about, so I would do it this way. I would still eat carnivore and then maybe do some of the herbals again. If it makes you feel wholly bad, then I think it's something deeper than SIBO. And there are a lot of clients of ours that have um, SIBO when they're actually suffering from SIRS. So I'm not going to get into SIRS here, but yeah, yeah. Maybe that protocol she did kind of triggered all of that, but yeah. So you're, I I wish I had a cup. That's what I was like looking around. But if you think about our detox pathways, 
there's a lot of toxins that'll amount over time. And if you have SIRS, it's taking most of that cups, like the filling of it. And SIBO may be a symptom of SIRS, but when you then take herbals, if the bottom is not releasing a lot of the toxins and more is coming in, you're just going to feel worse. And so that's why I'm always about get to root cause. And without working with you, it's really hard to see what's going on. I personally have not seen that it's the diet that has wrecked somebody. It's normally the diet has now cleared up a lot of um, noise that may have been around because of like carbs or gluten that you're consuming. And now that you don't have any of that and it's just meat or mostly meat, now, if there's really an underlying illness, it's going to start coming out. So think about, we put a lot of our toxins in our fat stores and our liver. And now when your body's like, oh, I can now release this stuff, it's going to start releasing it. And it's just like oxalate dumping. You might start feeling the ramifications of your body's getting healthy. So now it's like, okay, now I can get rid of these toxins. And if you start feeling sick, it's not the carnivore diet. It's actually that your body feels like it's healthier and now it can release. But if your body cannot release it properly, let's say your lymphs are not working well, or your liver or kidneys, you may need support. But even with that support, if it's not working, I would always consider SIRS based on certain symptomologies. That's what it kind of feels like if people get down to a, we have some episodes on that. Judy has tons of content. And then also the SIRS group, you can look up like Barbara and Lady Carnivory. Um, and they both have a lot of great information about yes. that. Uh, Kurt asks, are there tests or ways to differentiate between hair loss due to lack of nutrition? or just aging. My hairline has been receding slowly over the years since starting carnivore. I've heard a lot about hair loss, but just want to make sure that my macros are right. Um, I will say the only thing that I know about this, I'll let Judy really answer this one, but I'll just say that if, if you're not getting enough protein, then that likely can be causing it. If your body's kind of going through like massive weight loss, that also can just be normal part and what's causing it. Um, so I would just kind of say like, are my hormones in check? Am I getting enough protein? And then after that, it might just be due to like big changes in your body or normal aging. To answer your question specifically about tests, um, there are mineral tests that you can take and cellular tests that track all the different nutrients. And, um, and so you can do that. I do think that hair loss is one, it's genetic. And then two, if you're eating enough, I mean, just if you look at what creates actual hair, it's amino acids and there's some minerals, I think selenium's one and other things. So if you know that you are eating sufficiently, and I just released a video on how much to ideally eat on a carnivore diet, if you are eating that much, if not more, then it may not be a nutritional deficiency thing, unless you have gut imbalances, which then maybe you're not absorbing your nutrients. But um, I would try some gut supports if you haven't ever tried that and then see if your hair loss is improving. And then I would make sure that you're eating enough. And if those factors don't improve it, then it might be genetic. You can always do those uh, nutrient status tests, but I always think I have not seen somebody move the needle enough just because of a certain mineral was deficient. I just think that's when we are playing way too chemist. And I have clients, honestly, that I tell them you need to go the route of SIRS and they're still Um, dead set on. No, no. I know when I take this nutrient and this amount, then I'm feeling better. And it's, I let them be, but honestly, I don't think that's the root cause issue. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jessica asks, how long did it take you personally to correct your ghrelin or leptin? I have no idea. (laughs) I don't even think I knew what that was for like three years. Well, so so think of it this way. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, no, please explain it better to me. No. So just think of it this way. When did you start noticing that you're not as hungry as often as you used to be? And that's how you know that those have quote unquote improved. So I would say pretty immediately, like the minute I got within a few weeks, I would say the minute I got off of the carbs and like really detox from that and my appetite switched over maybe a few weeks, I would say, I would call that immediate. I think, um, I do know that the, one of the things that's been isn't that the leptin deficiency is that everybody's that's, we did an episode on that not too long ago about that's one of the trends that's out there that people are saying you need light and balance and whatever, because you're leptin deficient. And our take around that was that you just are not, you're, again, you're addressing the symptoms and you're not addressing the the root cause of anything. So um, if you're still having this uncontrollable hunger, like I will say this too, I do get like hungry appetite, is not satisfied. Like when I'm eating, not as clean. If I'm eating pepperonis and cheese and snacky carnivore foods, if I'm not eating meals, I get this with my mom all the time. I'm like, stop having snacks and have more meals, Mm -hmm. right? Even if they're carnivore approved or keto approved, if I'm eating snackier, junkier foods, sausages, and even bacon and cheese and pepperonis, then my appetite starts really, really picking up. I have to eat more like steak, shrimp, wings, like singular ingredient foods. This may not be what she's asking, but I do think that that's for me where my appetite still can get out of control. And I don't think it's because of like a ghrelin leptin issue. I think it's just because I'm eating foods that are stimulating some hunger and they're not as clean and they're a little more processed and stuff. So, um, if you're still having issues with hunger after a few weeks, a couple months, then I would really address like what you're eating and kind of dig into that personally. And then I would look for a root cause issue. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Bernadette asks, is too much salt possibly the cause of swollen ankles and slightly elevated blood pressure? It can be. We have a sex hormone or it's in the glucocosteroids and that manages your salt levels. So if that is imbalanced, that can affect your salt and blood pressure. I did an interview with Dr. Richard Johnson, and he talked about blood pressure is actually becomes imbalanced, not because of the salt per se, but that you are having kidney damage. And so there's a kidney imbalance, which then doesn't allow you to better balance the salt and the water. And in fact, if you just had a lot of salt, the way to balance that is just drinking a lot of water. And so the homeostatic point would be that they'll balance one another. If you are getting elevated blood pressure and swollen ankles, I would look at if you're still insulin resistant, it might be that that hormone is still imbalanced and over time it should get better. You can always try to reduce salt. There's lots of studies where people eat low salt and they had cardiovascular events, there are risks with eating too low of salt too. So those can be like the nuanced things. Like, um, I, I think also too, if for, I know for me and my family, like if I'm having something that has any amount of sugar in it or carbs in it or fiber in it, like keto treats that have all these crazy fibers in it, like I'm going to swell up. And then all of a sudden I'm going to start holding all of this salt that I'm eating. Or I think she mentioned, follow, I think my blood pressure goes down when I drink element. So that was somebody else mentioned that I feel that same way. If I'm getting proper electrolytes and no carbs at all, then I'm feel like I'm balanced properly, but I would really just you might be eating perfectly strict beef only carnivore. Uh, and then I would look into like some of the stuff that Judy is saying, but I also would just dig into saying like, am I still insulin, insulin resistant? Am I having some carbs? 
Am I having too much fiber? Am I having things that are causing me to hold water? Is it vitamins? Some of the supplements that you're taking pill, you know, medications, things that are causing you to hold water. Cause then I think the salt is causing some more swollen things and high blood pressure instead of like, yeah, I, I get accused all the time of like, Oh, you eat so much salt. You're going to crazy blood high, high blood pressure. Well, like when I'm not eating the carbs, I need the salt to maintain any amount of water in my body, or I'm going to get dehydrated even by drinking a lot of water. So I would really audit like what you're doing to make sure there's just no hidden reasons why you have like carbs or maybe it's even still some insulin resistance. Yeah. I would also consider your cortisol level. So they're all around the same pathways. And if your cortisol is high, it will eat up your salt and other things. So it might also be considering like, if you notice your blood pressure goes up and you get swollen, are you also stressed? Are you also eating? Or um, it's a day that you are eating off plan. And there's lots of things to think about, but it's not usually the salt alone. Yeah. Definitely. It's one of those root cause things. Right. Um, a question is what fats do you recommend to hit the fat percentage? If the meat is on the lean side? Um, I know we've talked about not having like excessive amounts of butter. You could use a little bit of butter, but I, I think it's not good to have that be your only fat source or to be eating tons of it. We kind of addressed with that. Why? Um, I love bacon's a good one. Some pork belly, some, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, there's, I, I'm not going to just eat a lot of bunch of plain beef fat. I know some people do that as well, but I'm probably not going to do that. Yeah. I mean, everything you said is good. Uh, bacon, pork belly is really fatty. And then you can do like the fattiest cuts of meat and then maybe add a little bit of um, added fat. So you could do a little bit of butter. Uh, you can do a little bit of tallow or lard, but Generally speaking, that's why I always try to eat the fattier cuts of meat. It's really hard to buy chicken breast and then add a lot of butter on top of that or a lot of fat. So if you just eat like the chicken thighs or chicken wings, which are fattier, then you may just need a little bit more additional fat. Um, So, and then it's a shell said chicken skins. I would, I need a source. Somebody hook me up. I need a place to buy bulk chicken skins. I cannot, and don't recommend to me the company that sells them dried in a bag. That's not, those are disgusting. Really? Uh, I didn't think they were that bad. Who? The, the, I don't even remember what they're called. They no, you haven't, up. you haven't tried the carnivore crisps. No. Oh, that's the one I'm talking about. Okay. No, I've never tried that brand. <laughs> don't try that. Those are disgusting. Many reasons, but I won't but there's another, that. so obviously I can't tell you that yet, but there's another company that's coming out with them soon. That is, I'm much more confident that they're going to be delicious. Okay. I, I was, there's a company that creates chicken uh, chips with chicken skin. Oh. And I, I shared it once. I don't even remember the company name anymore, but I think half of the chips they make with seed oils. And then the ones yeah. that they sent me, they don't. So I thought they were fine. Oh. But, there's one brand that's like Flocks or whatever that they have like oh, tapioca starch and they have some kind of oils in them. So I haven't really done those too much, but I've seen them in there. I see them in the airport all the time. Um, Somebody Amber asked is a two, uh, dairy. So heavy whipping cream, really that much better than the organic heavy whipping cream. I love a good, clean, creamy coffee. I mean, a two dairy is supposed to be healthier on the gut, more natural for the gut, but I don't really see a difference with that. The biggest difference I see is raw versus not. And even the organics are all ultra pasteurized. I don't even know if they're that much healthier for you. Honestly, all of the organic milks, you can leave them outside and they would be completely fine. And the fact that, that you can do that just makes me wonder 
is it really that much healthier for you? So if you don't care for the A2 dairies, then I'm fine with you just taking the organic. I'll always go by your symptoms. Some people are mentioning they can't find pork belly. I get mine at Costco. I think Walmart has it. You might find a butcher even like who could order it for you. I, I don't know if you live in a rural area, you might not have any specific Asian grocery stores. Yeah. I go to That's the where I, market. Yeah. I get mine at like, um, what's the H Mart. We get ours at H Mart oh, yeah, yeah. or Costco. Yeah. I love that. Um, Jessica said, change of subject, Laura, since you had skin removal surgery, have you had a bunch of new smaller waisted pants? Uh, how weird does it feel to try on new clothes without all the extra skin? It has been wild. I wore like that little crop top outfit in Hawaii and posted those pictures about it on Instagram. And everybody was like, ah. I was like this is, I'm a new person now. Um, I haven't quite tried on jeans yet or like tight pants. I feel like I still have some swelling. So most of my pants still fit me. The tight pants that I have are like, I can't quite like squeeze into them yet. So like jeans are, I'm just still too tender around my waist to try that. I still have been legging, living in like leggings and elastic waistband pants, but, um, so I haven't done too much pants shopping yet, but I will say probably Hawaii is the first time I like went out in an outfit with no compression and like had a little belly showing. And that was pretty wild. Or like I wore a two piece bathing suit on the beach. We, we're not posting pictures of that. Okay. Like <laughs> let's, I have some boundaries. Um, even though my videos get censored on YouTube for being mature content for whatever reason, my, um, I swear removal, someone reported you. I really feel hundred percent. They had to, because right. that video didn't get censored until a week. It was six days after I posted it. Then all of a sudden it got flagged for adult content. So a hundred percent, somebody reported it. Otherwise there's no reason why the algorithm would have picked it up a week later. Anyway, that's crazy. I'm a little salty. Um, but it is, very, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun and I'm still getting used to it. Has it soaked in that, you know, no. Okay. It told, uh, honestly, it told completely has not like, I don't know, maybe it just, I have no idea. It definitely does not feel real yet still, or I still am like conscious about it. I wore that, that top, like there was like two inches of my middle midriff hanging out. And all day I was like fussing with it. Chris kept like cracking up about, and then we like went to this boat ride and I was like, didn't realize how many people were going to be on this like tourist <laughs> boat ride. And I was like, I'm so inappropriate, Chris. And he's like, there's an inch of your belly. You know, you're fine. I'm still getting used to it. It's been really fun though. I don't That's know. It's really exciting. Yeah. Um, let's see people. Let me see. Um, I think the next question is how much weight did you wind up losing? You know what? So I am pretty much the same weight that I was before surgery. I've been fluctuating Mm -hmm. some just with swelling as much as I've been traveling. I'll like lose some weight and then I'll go up. But at my lowest posts, I'm actually a little higher now just because of traveling and everything. But my lowest post surgery was uh, three pounds lower than I was the day that I went into surgery. Like I weighed myself the day I went into surgery. And I will say the day I went into surgery, I had been fasting a lot, like the previous two weeks, just to try to like, you know, make sure I was in the best place possible to go into surgery as far as like leanest and lowest inflammation. And so I was definitely under eating at that time. I'm sure Chris will tell you. After since surgery, I have been eating a lot, like a lot, a lot. I was eating four times a day, small meals, but I just have been really pushing protein, protein, protein for healing and have really been eating a lot. 
the lowest weight that I've been post-surgery was like three pounds less than before surgery. They took off like three and a half pounds of skin plus another three or so pounds, maybe not even like, I think it was three liters of fat from the liposuction. So, um, I, I would say I'm pretty much the same weight, but I'm eating a lot more now. So I think I'm in a healthier place. I don't know. It's not, a, it's actually not a ton of weight. I thought it was going to be way more than that, but, but it's not always the number on the scale. Yeah. Right? Oh, so. completely. And you know what, this is why, this is why I had gotten so obsessed with losing weight, that this is why I got too thin back in 2019, because mm-hmm. I was so focused on the way that I wanted my body to look and the number on the scale. And I've spent the last two years like realizing that I shouldn't lose more weight, but I'm not happy with the way that I look. And so like, I tried to just separate the scale weight and, and the way that I looked. And so now I have zero concern for what the scale weight is because I'm focused more on like staying healthy. This is why I'm eating so much more now. Cause I know my body needs to eat a lot to heal. And I'm not really concerned that right now the scale is up, um, post-surgery and post, you know, like from traveling, actually, Chris and I just ate a lot when we were on vacation. Like that was just a joy to like be on vacation and eat as often as you want, you know, have some tons of carnivore snacks and cheese and all the things, you know, like that's been really fun. But, um, I don't know. I think I'm just, I have zero concern, I guess, what the scale weight is anymore. I still, I still check cause it's interesting for me, but it's a data point and it's not like a, I'm not concerned. Response. Yeah. It's, I'm not, cons- I'm not changing anything based on that. And it's more just like me knowing what it is, I guess, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Um, do you see that? So there's a couple questions about iodine, yeah. which I know actually people have been messaging me a lot about that one. So Jim and Amy said, can you talk about the difference between the iodine in pill versus the liquid and then she asked some specifics about it. Sure. Let me just talk about it. I think there was a question about iodine uh, before, but I think we might've missed it. So in my practice, we, you can do an iodine test where they will give you, I think a 50 milligram pill of iodine. And then you, it's a 24 hour urine collection. Can you imagine how annoying that must be? But um, you collect it in this really large gallon thing and they see how much iodine you're excreting to see if you're sufficient or not. And maybe um, once we stop recording, I could share, show it with you guys because I can show you a sample one, but show them the urine jug. No, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> show them a sample uh, result of, oh, oh. of what percentage you are saturated oh. or not. Sorry. <laughs> No, I mean, I can show you the container. It's like, listen, we, this is not the perk of joining the video stream is that you can just see Judy's urine jug. <laughs> this I, is why you, my house, but this is the behind the paywall. And this, this is, is what you get where I would edit the video. No, you can't. You I can't. Know, know. Okay. So technically the iodine drops and the pill is not supposed to be that different, but in clinical practice, we do see differences. We see more effectiveness with the drops. Um, I think there are some, maybe with the additional additives of the iodine drop, it's maybe more effective. I do hear some of the adverse effects of possible weight gain and detoxing. It might be your bromide. And that's where the testing may be beneficial. When you do the iodine test, if you select, you can also test how much fluoride you're detoxing as well as bromide and chloride. And I'll see some people are sufficient with their iodine supplementation, but then they're really releasing a lot of bromide. So that means that they need excess iodine to release a lot more of that bromide, which is a toxin and same thing with fluoride. And it really depends on the person. 
Typically, I will recommend about six drops of the iodine, the 2%, which I think is about, I think it's about 12 milligrams of iodine. Um, I'm forgetting exactly, but we don't do the supplement unless someone really doesn't want to do the drops. And then we will have the supplement knowing that it doesn't have as much efficacy as the drops. And what you want to do is if you're having detox symptoms in the table of elements, just simply speaking, salt is one of the competitors of bromide fluoride chloride, which is, you know, sodium chloride. And so when you are taking iodine, you want to make sure that you're flushing it out. And so that's why Dr. Um, David Brownstein recommends doing a salt flush with your iodine. So you want to take, so what I do typically is I will put six drops in a small amount of water, and then I'll chase it with some Soleil water or some salt water. And so that will help usher out the flush. And some people will have loose stools from that. Some people will feel nauseous from that. So then you want to start slow. So maybe you just do half a drop or one drop, but um, just from all the interviews I've done about a couple years ago, everyone needs iodine. Every single cell needs iodine. Um, it's not just our breast tissue. I have one lady that said she swears from all her research that she got breast cancer because she was iodine deficient it's nearly impossible to overdose on iodine because your body will just pee it out just like that test shows, but you may want to just start slow. If you're showing the detox effects from the liquid, maybe you just do one drop and then you might want to take a break. So if you are detoxing heavily, maybe you just do five days on of one drop and then two days of rest so that your body's just getting into another homeostatic point. So Holly's saying she only does two drops of the iodine. Is that not enough, but maybe she could work up to doing more than that? Or does it depend on how deficient she is in the first place? I would move up to six over time, but go slow again. So I would do three drops, maybe for a couple of weeks, take a two day break and then see how you feel. And you can always test, but you can always go by your symptoms. So if you feel energy, you don't really feel that different taking the drops, then I think you're fine with the amount you're taking. And then you can continue up. If you get to a point where you're even taking, I mean, you could take 20 drops and essentially your body's supposed to just pee it out. So I don't think there's a limit. I know there's, it's controversial to say that, but I would just take however much you can take and you feel good. And then if, um, if you want to test just to see if you're fully saturated, you can always do that test. A couple of people in the comments that they took that test, um, the urine test they, I don't know, maybe that's what Jim and Amy, did you take the urine test or the iodine test? Oh yeah. She took the, they took the oh, urine okay. test. Ooh. Okay. Um, that sounds a lot of fun. I know. The 24. Yeah. That's when they well, I don't, I didn't even know where this question is, but okay, that's fine. Does the, the iodine help with sleep and energy? David asked. It can. So a lot of times iodine will be an energy boost to you. It'll kind of waken up your cells. So you want to take it in the earlier part of the day, you don't, because it can actually be a stimulant and then it'll just naturally have your body be in a better homeostasis in terms of energy iodine. And so you probably don't want to be taking it during the evenings, but I mean, it's very individualized. I haven't seen, you know, what I'll do is all the people on this call, I have your emails. I will send out, I have a iodine guide and an FAQ on iodine. That's not even mine. And I'll send you that too. So a detox symptom is weight gain. Um, sometimes energy imbalances becomes also a detox symptom. So, and then if you have any questions beyond that, especially if you've bought the urine test from us, you can always email me. Cool. That I think that would be really helpful. So we have, we'll send out, she'll send out that email uh, when we're done with this. Um, 
I think there's a one more, two more questions and then we'll do our little wrap up. I think we're coming okay. up and then, you know what, we'll stop recording and then maybe just hang out uh, for just a minute for those of you sure. that are here with us on video. So David said, I've experienced nausea when eating steak, heard that cooked fat might be the culprit. Why might this be the case? I don't have much of an appetite since starting carnivore over two months ago either. Yeah. So a lot of times we feel hangry when we are eating carbohydrates because our blood sugar goes up and then insulin has to come and put it down. And then when you feel that drop is when you start feeling hungry and we want that cortisol response. So whether it's from sugar, whether it's from coffee, we want that afternoon kick when you are eating a carnivore diet, that doesn't really happen. So you're more muted. And so you won't feel as hungry. And that's one of the things that I see as an issue is a lot of people under eat on this way of eating. And then they blame the diet for hormone and thyroid issues, but it's really that we under eat. So for me, what I had to do is I knew I was under eating at certain times. So, but when I'm finally in front of meat, I can eat it and then my hunger will come back. So I think that's one thing you can try. If you know how much you're supposed to eat in a day, try to eat that on most days. And then on some days, if you're really not hungry, that's fine. Um, and then in terms of the nausea, so what happens is when we eat fat, the liver stimulates to produce bile and then the storage is in the gallbladder. If your bile, for example, is sludgy, you haven't been eating a lot of fat your whole life. It's just, it has to wake it up. And when it there's not enough bile or sufficient bile or properly functioning bile, you will feel nausea because you have all this excess fat. Uh, there are supports you can take to support that whole process. One easy way to support that is in the morning you wake up and you squeeze a little bit of lemon that can help with some of sludgy bile. And I know that's not carnivore, but Oh, well, so use a little bit of the lemon in the morning with maybe a little bit of warm water and use that. And before you start eating and see if that helps, I would also consider maybe ox bile or digestive enzymes and their enzymes that help you to break down fat. So if those don't work, then I would consider some other things. You can always email our team, but um, those are the first things I would consider, but nausea, especially two hours later is related to gallbladders, not fully functioning as ideally as we want it to or liver. I'm sorry. And if I'm eating like globby fat, like the fat in on the outside of a ribeye, that's nice and crispy. I'm fine with, but if I'm eating that, like big globby fat in the middle of a ribeye, it makes me nauseous, like right away too. Mm -hmm. And it also could give me loose stools and look at me. I'm all Judy sounded loose stools. Uh, <laughs> no more diarrhea. No more. Uh, and so because of that, uh, I look like I could take that and get it crispy again, or I could eat crispier pork belly or bacon or something else that's fat. Also like an egg yolk. We talked about adding fat to something like I could eat an egg yolk. Those things are fine for me, but like actual globby fat, um, is harder for me. So that I, I would try crisping it up again and see if that, if that helps at all. I wonder though, if, um, most of us don't like eating that fat that's not really cooked and it's just kind of whitish yellow and it's just fatty. And it's not really flavorful. So I wonder if some of that's mental, right? So it's like, oh, I'm eating this fat. That's not very tasty and it's on too. its own. So then does that make us nauseous? Cause we believe that because that's I like a, my fat cooked too. So just a thought. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a good point. Cool. Um, let's, this has been really fun. I think let's wrap up a little bit and then we can hang out, uh, after the recording is on, but it's pretty wild. I think the biggest thing, like, I, I mean, we're going to continue to do this. Um, I'm excited to keep it up. Judy and I always talk about like, it's just a fun way for us to continue to connect and hang out. 
So we we're definitely going to keep this up, whether or not it's every week, we'll, we'll be rolling that out in the future. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but we definitely are, are not going anywhere. That's for sure. I think we talk so much about finding what works for you, finding that one thing, like what are your non-negotiables? And we kind of want to leave you with that. Like as we finish up this hundredth episode, if you're in my locals community, we talk about this every day, every week, all the time. Like what is your non-negotiable? You know, um, I post about it and we talk about it daily, but it is something I think that I still focus on five years, almost five years in, like what's my one non-negotiable thing that no matter what happens when life gets hard, I'm going to stick to carnivore. I'm going to make sure that I'm not eating carbs and sugar. Like I know that I, um, I'm, I have that. So I would kind of focus, figure that for yourself. Like what is your one non-negotiable thing? Um, it's kind of been the thing that I feel like through this podcast, honestly, I've helped discover through the conversations that we've had, we've kind of talked about this so much and it's really involved into like my mantra more than anything is just focusing on like my one non-negotiable thing. Um, and Judy's really helped me to figure that out and I'm grateful. So we strongly encourage you to figure that out. Like think about it, write about it, journal about it today. Like what's your one non-negotiable thing. If you're in here with us, you could type it in the chat. Um, yeah, I think it's, we're, you know, looking back at a hundred episodes, our goal was really to obviously continue the friendship with Laura and myself, but it's really to have the conversation that not everyone's willing to have or even consider. And we just really want people to get better. I think both of us have changed our family's health trajectory and the longevity of our family and the happiness and all of that, that comes with it. And we just want to have other people experience that. And I will do what I can with research, with content to bring that forward. But I, I think there is something beyond that. And a lot of it is in the conversations we do with cutting against the grain, but it's not just learning what exactly is my macro, how many drops of iodine, how much this, how much that, but a lot of it is also our mindset. And um, I've been listening to a lot of content in terms of motivation, because I really want this stuff to stick with people. And a lot of it is the way that we view the world and whatever we focus on becomes our reality. And so I just want people to leave cutting against the grain, the hundredth episode, and especially the people that are with us today. And thank you again for being here. But if you could do anything every single day, if you had enough time, like what would help you stay motivated daily? And I just want you to, you know, take away from this and think about that of what really could I add to my day that could improve my day a little bit every single day. And maybe that's a little bit more sleep, or maybe that's a little bit more time with the kids or uh, with the friend getting on the phone or um, going for a walk. And whatever that is, if you think about it, if you're saying that will incrementally make your life better every single day, that is something you need to make a priority. Even though we deprioritize that in our lives, it's something that can make your day better. And if we want to focus on the things that make us happy and better and improved, then that is one thing we focus on so that that becomes our reality. The other thing I wanted to really leave you is what are three things that demotivate you? Like what are three things that make you focus on the negative? And I talk about this with my clients all the time. If the news is making you so distraught and climate change and uh, our meat prices going up, stop watching those things. I understand we need to be in the know, 
But if that becomes our focus and that's what we focus on and now we're scared, if we won't even have meat in a, a year or so, that will become your focus and everything will be based on fear of what your actions are and how you function. But that's not living. I think in order to progress in our lives, we have to focus on things that will challenge us, that will force us to do hard things, and that will ultimately make us know that we can do and strive for more. And so I hope that you can leave here. And like Laura said, think about what is your non-negotiable? Maybe it's not just carnivore, just meat, but maybe it's just that I can never touch a drink. And then, and then think about what is that one thing that really can help you in your life every single day. And for me, that was sleep. And so I make sleep a priority. Maybe I sleep weird hours, but I make sure to sleep enough. And then the other thing is, what are things that are not so positive in your lives? Is it a relationship? Is it a person? Is it a thing? Is it the news? And I think you should make it a goal to limit that in your life, because if something isn't benefiting you or a positive in your life, then it's not something that'll help move the needle while you're trying to heal or find optimal health. Yeah. What's consuming your thoughts and your time and your mindset is, is it positive or is it just something that's like bringing you down and causing you stress? And those are, I think actually the episode that's coming out next, like is the one that we talk about that with what you do that hasn't come out yet, but, um, it, it will, by the time. But it's like, is that like, is, you know, fear is one of the biggest motivators that we have. And like, are, is that what's driving us every day? Um, or is it something that's positive and bringing us up? And it's really just one day at a time, right? We have to focus on things one day at a time and figuring out like how we're able to find positive good in our lives and a great support system. Right. And, uh, yeah, all those wonderful things. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think meditating and focusing on stuff that's beyond you. I think one thing that has really helped me heal beyond the level I ever thought I could heal was when I started having service for others, instead of like, what can I do in my life to make my life better? But instead, what can I do and give back and serve to make the world a better place for my kids and the futures to come? It has really changed my, when I want to eat junk food, or I want to do something that's not ideal. I just think of how is this serving the community? How is this serving people? How is this serving my children? And I realize it's not, and it's a muscle that I had to strengthen to get to this point, to even think that way, but we can all get there. And I just think if we were to just be more careful with what we see, we hear, we feel, then we can become and focus on the things that we want to focus on that will get us to a place of better health and just a better life in general. Yeah. Let's finish out a hundred episodes with an amen. There we go. Judy, finish us out. (laughs) I love that. Thank you guys so much for being here. We love every second of it. We are uh, really, it's been such a joy for us to do this. We love how much you support us and appreciate us. And we are so excited and can't wait to, uh, to do a hundred more. Yes. Thank you so much for the support and for all the tears and laughs and everything in between that we've shared. (laughs) All right. Bye guys. Bye everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the cutting against the grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. 
You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>